y'all? My name is Peter. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about the subtlety of toxic masculinity. But first, how are you, Carl? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm, pre- I'm, I'm pretty wiped out for some reason. Yeah. I think it's not about sleep anymore for me. It's about like recovery. So I'm working on soul energizing activities and I don't think I've fully found one yet. But anyway, how are you? I'm pretty tired too. Classes are really ramping up. It's really hot outside today and I hate it because my wardrobe does not give clearance <laughs> to that. To eat. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but you know, we're living. I'm excited to do this podcast. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad. Um, so anyway, we said subtlety of toxic masculinity, right? Like what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Um, recently I've been hearing a lot of people saying, or men in particular saying like, I would never rape someone. So I'm not part of the problem or something that excuses a lot of men from engaging in work that's gender related. It occurs to me that I think there's a lot of misconceptions in terms of how men are engaging with rape culture, right? Like Mm. it's less about preventing people from experiencing the trauma of rape, which is like, I guess that's the ultimate goal. Like don't rape like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's part of this whole deal. But, um, it's also about dismantling the culture that sort of allows rape to happen. Right. And I think that can take place in very many subtle ways, things that you and I are still perpetuating on a daily basis. Of course. Yeah. So with this idea of toxic masculinity, what is that? So, I mean, personally, I struggle with the phrase toxic masculinity. Uh I think it's a one way ticket to shutting conversation down. That's the tricky part is I normally don't use the phrase toxic masculinity unless I trust the person I'm having a conversation with. Yeah. Because I do think that it's a tricky phrase. It's starting to get made fun of. Yeah. And that's when I start thinking, okay, we need to shift how we describe the conversation. But for me, toxic masculinity is the beliefs or the attitudes that like constrain men to some degree or like promotes that men's violence is good, that men's aggression is good, that men's dominance over space and people is good. And I think that it's reinforced in very subtle ways, both in our language and some of the, the way that gender norms are perpetuated constantly. Um, and hopefully we'll get into some of that today. Yeah. It's different. Like there's, there's, um, there's an academic sort of description of what it is and it's called hegemonic masculinity. It is an academic term, but it does lay a pretty cool foundation for talking about toxic masculinity. We're not saying that masculinity in itself is bad, right? right? We're just saying that. So from what, what I'm hearing from you is we're saying that there are aspects of masculinity that are taught to, you know, young boys and men that do contribute to the culture that we're trying to actively destroy. Yes. Right. And so like, I think feminists get a bad rap around hating men, for example. Yeah. Or there's a resurgence of men saying like, men are being feminized or emasculated or like we need to reclaim this idea of what it means to be masculine. Oh, the soy, like soy boys. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot, there's a, there's a resurgence of that thinking that men have lost their way because we're being told that weakness is good or something like that. I'm Mm -hmm. don't understand their logic. Yeah. Uh, I um, mean, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) the reinforcement of like, cause it's, there's a I, there's a commercial recently that's pissing me off on ESPN radio show podcast that I listen to that talks about like testosterone and like why are men being lazy like you need to reclaim your muscles and 
I don't know, oh, like yeah. taking testosterone. And just it's just funny because it usually leads to like the shrinkage of balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that is a side effect of taking too much testosterone. So like when I think about masculinity, when I think about toxic masculinity, that's what I think about in terms of perpetuating this idea that men are supposed to be dominant or better than. Yeah. Also toxic masculinity versus like maybe healthy masculinity makes the man fit into a box that has all these contradicting things that's expected of them. So I think the toxic masculinity thing is a lot about um, conforming to society's like expectations and ideals of what it means to be a man. Whereas you can be whoever you know you want to be and still feel the repercussions of what toxic masculinity does to our culture. I think it's tricky too. Like we're, I think we're going to get into trying to name some examples of like some of the symptoms of toxic masculinity. Yeah. But some of the behaviors like in a vacuum, I don't think are horrible. Like it doesn't make you a bad person if, for example, you're constantly playing publicly on pianos here like in Fort Collins there's a bunch of public pianos and you and I and I think you especially had made the observation that I don't think we've seen someone that we would perceive to be women on these pianos or very few yeah. like discrepancy is very big right and so it's just kind of this idea of like it's not bad to play on the public pianos like that's what they're there for but it's just an observation that I've made throughout my time in you know Colorado where like public pianos are everywhere in the cities where I only only see what I would perceive to be dudes playing the piano. And I think it's a really important question to ask is like, if that's a pattern, what are some of the underlying, um, I don't know if they're issues. Like what are some of the driving factors for men to be more confident in playing publicly on pianos than other genders are? I think getting into that root of the conversation starts to touch on the building blocks of what toxic masculinity could be, right? Yeah. And is there a way to use that conversation to shape and shift into what healthy masculinities look like? Of course. I want to revisit the thing you said, I would never rape somebody, so I'm not a part of the problem, is uh, what you said. And like, we were talking about toxic masculinity, and that sentence is kind of, I don't know, kind of encapsulates what toxic masculinity may say towards yeah. this type of work. Yeah. Some, I mean, to cut in, I'm sorry, but like someone, when I hear a dude say that, I'm like, I'm going to stay the f away from you. you oh yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's instant. Like, no thanks. Oh, yeah. You're not getting Deuces. a birthday party invitation. <laughs> and I think like to me and you and everyone else who kind of agrees with us and who are a part of the movement and doing work, they just see this work as like the thing, like you have to do it. Like it's just right. normal. And, you know, we shouldn't be getting all that much praise for doing this because it's just what it, a decent human being should be able to do. Right. So that whole idea of like, I would never rape someone, so I'm not a part of the problem kind of excuses that person from doing the basic bare minimum of work to make the world a better place. Right. If their benchmark for the worst thing I can do is rape somebody, then it tends to blind them from like deeper self-reflection around everyday behaviors that might excuse other men for who think like rape isn't that bad. Yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of friends period. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who are guys and they have that, they have that idea of like, I can do and say and like whatever I want, but as long as I'm not actively sexually assaulting somebody, I'm good. Yeah. A good guy. So I don't know. It's interesting because I think like if anyone knows me, I would not be friends with a rapist like, right. n yeah, none. So, but also like 
my friends, when I'm talking to them or calling them in or something like that, they'll be like, like, what do you think I am? Like a rapist? I'm like, well, I'm no, I know you're not because we would not be having this talk. <laughs> right. So I think it, there's just little things that my friends do that just kind of piss me off when it comes to certain scenarios like that. And I guess I'll give an example. Have you heard of the no balls thing? It's like, drink this sriracha, no balls. <laughs> okay. So sounds um, like a derivative of no homo. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's kind of like it's like basically calling somebody like a or right. like okay. someone like that. Of, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it does. But thank yeah. you for the connection. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like if you don't go 100 down the freeway, no balls like you don't have balls. That's at that point. And I will admit that I have put myself in more danger than is acceptable because okay. of that challenge. <laughs> OK, well, they'll be like, there's going to be a mushroom on the ground and we don't know if it's poisonous. This is a real story. We don't know if it's going to be poisonous or not. And my friend was like, eat it. No balls. I'm like, OK. And I <laughs> ate it. And, you know, you're here. Yay. Thank God. <laughs> but it's just so funny how much we are willing to prove ourselves to be a man I'm using quotation marks and like literally almost kill ourselves just to prove that we have balls. Yeah. As if that's better. It fascinates me to hear men's rights activists basically talk about like industrial deaths and suicides and military deaths of men mm -hmm. without any of the context of the things that you're talking about right now is like, well, I'm really glad you care, but their anger is towards feminists for some reason or women, I guess, in general. Yeah. Um, opposed to really digging into this particular dynamic that you're talking about amongst men is how often we equate value or how little value we hold for our own lives in a lot of ways just to prove our max masculinity. And that's the type of behavior that we're talking about that we need to start. I mean, that's not talk. That's that's just aggressive masculinity right like yeah toxic masculinity might be a little subtler than that and that can sometimes be the hardest to make people care about specifically men care about because it's easy to say that's not a big deal like i'm not trying to hurt anyone it doesn't hurt anyone and a lot of that i think for me does with language using insults like the hardest conversations i have with men on this campus is the difference between girls and women and the men on this campus believe that isn't a bad thing to call another man like, yeah those are the two hardest conversations i have with men on this campus yeah. And I think it's interesting, like going back to that point of how little we value our lives when it comes to our masculinity, like you can just see that in the culture that we're grown up with and the stories that we're told as young boys. And like one that I remember, my dad and I were pretty big history buffs and we watched the movie 300 and spoiler alert, they all die at the end. <laughs> And, you know, I was like, damn, that's really cool. Like they were willing to sacrifice everything. Heroes. Yeah. And they're given this hero <clears throat> mentality. And so I'm growing up with this mentality of like, I will die for my country. I will die for my friends. You? And Fascinating. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, I, well, not, I mean, I grew up, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that was real for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was real. Like I would just constantly fantasize about situations where I'd be the hero and I don't know if. I, you know, being alive was not the priority in that scenario. Right. And there's some like, I this is where the conversation I think is tricky around toxic masculinity is like that level of altruism, I think is easy to spin in a good way. Right. Yeah. For me, there's more value for you, Peter, to be alive on this planet than for you to sacrifice your life for a city or a town or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just, I think that 
situation would never happen in the first place. So obviously there's more value in you living your life and creating change. But I do think that particular mentality can be toxic for men, for sure. Of course. So one of the things I think that we wanted to focus on in terms of like providing examples and what to look out for both in yourself and in other people is this idea of men really kind of dominating space as uh, as a as an example of toxic masculinity. Right. Yeah. So what are some potential examples that you have for us? All right. So we did kind of mention I only see men playing at the public pianos. Right. So that's one. Uh, and that's, that takes up space in a way of like they're occupying the piano space so that other people can't play. But it also occupies like sound space in terms of like filling an area with their crappy piano play. Yeah. I mean, no matter. I mean, some how, of them are good. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> no matter how good they are, they're not asking for consent for everyone to listen to their music. They're just doing it and right. hoping people appreciate it. And the other side of that, too, is like sit somewhere else. I also think like, so there's a, all of these examples can have multiple layers. I think our goal here is just to provide examples to look out for when it comes to your own like version of taking up space. Like don't make a huge at like a huge deal out of like, oh, it's only men. Like, let me post on Facebook. Like men for playing on the piano. I was like, that's not, (laughs) that's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what are some of the signs that of toxic masculinity underlying very, what most would I think perceive as harmless men. Yeah. Or good men. Yeah, this is titled The Subtlety exactly. of Toxic Masculinity for a Reason. So another example is here at CSU, we have dismount zones, which are very clearly marked on yeah, the I ground. I think most colleges probably have like, don't ride your bike through this area. Oh, zones. yeah. I mean. Or skateboard. Yeah. But um, every day. Every day. Literally every day. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. And I'm sure this will not be an unbelievable fact. I see some <laughs> with his bike. <laughs> strolling through the plaza on Wednesday when at like, you know, 1150 when all the classes are out and he's just like bobbing and weaving, like threading the needle through all these people, like almost hitting multiple people. And so it's interesting because I see mostly what I would perceive to be men on their bikes in dismount zones. Yeah. Riding through busy periods. Like if it was like five or something and there was no one on the plaza, I actually don't give a if you ride through the like through, yeah. I just that's that's fine, right? But like we're legitimately talking about men who go through during passing periods where there are literally thousands of people in the way. The other day there was an event on the plaza called the Involvement Expo. All student orgs and stuff were out there. A bunch of student orgs and stuff were out there. And so like it's the plaza's filled with tables and just packed with people and some dude was skating like skateboarding through it. It's just like I think he hit someone and yeah. I, I just it's always dudes. Just get off your dance. All right. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> I also notice this a lot when I'm walking back to my house or to class. I'll see a group of what I would perceive to be men talking to each other, but really loudly. Okay. And I want to be honest, I am completely guilty of that. Yeah. I remember in high school and this kind of will dive more deep into this, but uh, I remember in high school, I would be talking with my friends and I'd see like a cute girl. And then I would raise the volume of my voice of the jokes that I was telling my friends to an obscene level, (laughs) basically shouting at my friends just so that that cute girl could hear me and see how funny and interesting I am. When looking back at that now, that is like such a (laughs) move of just like, look at me. Like I'm funny. And I think that totally plays into how these this taking up of space that's not warranted is a lot about getting attention. Okay. I think that's a huge part because from what we've um, said previously, like 
playing at the piano and the dismount zones talking really loudly. They're drawing attention to themselves. Okay. And they don't see a problem with that. I mean, personally, I fiend for that type of attention. Okay. Just on a primal level, I guess. <laughs> okay. But, you know, there's ways to divert that into something constructive. But the talking really loudly part in specifics um, kind of threatens everyone around them that they are like the dominant group, in my opinion. Okay. Say a little bit more about that. So um, I remember I was talking to my partner about this and I was like, yeah, just like dudes voices just carry like really well. Okay. And they were like, no, they just talk really loudly. And <laughs> they were talking mm. about when they're with their friends, how those loud voices bring up certain past experiences and it kind of triggers them. So a, a loud male voice can trigger people around them. So I think we have to take that into consideration when we're walking with our dude friends and we're like making funny jokes and stuff to be aware of the people around us and how we can affect them. And I think that's how this stuff ends is just being aware of the people around you and how they might feel with your actions. Yeah, you'd be amazed at how like giving about what other people think of you really changes like the behavior that you exhibit. Like yeah. once you start thinking about strangers as part of your community or part of like your people or your brother or sister, you I think people tend to mature and shape up a little bit. But I do think that men who are loud might not be intentionally trying to dominate the space. But that's exactly what they're doing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, sorority women in particular can speak to this, I think, when they're outside during their process and there are groups of men, mostly fraternity men, just camping or like in lounge chairs and being really loud while the women are just trying to go through the recruitment process. I think about all the times that I have like raised my voice. It's to like talk over someone or to try to get my point through to somebody or I'm drunk and loud, which, you yeah. know. I could probably dive into a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think about the times I play soccer and like being kind of like a captain on the field and how the volume of my voice really mattered in terms of being authoritative and heard. And like, I think there's a lot to the idea of taking a lot of airspace with loud voices. Um, and I think your partner has a great point of like, I'm pretty sure everyone has the ability to speak quietly. Yeah. <laughs> Of so course. Like voices. I mean, and yes, there are absolutely some voices that carry more than others, but I do think volume has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I think just that self-awareness is a big thing. And we're not telling you to like, I think the term caring about what other people think might be misconstrued just okay. because it's very healthy to like be yourself and not care what people think, but also just being aware of the people around you and just, you know, it's the golden rule. Just like, I don't want to be walking through the plaza and hear some this conversation about what they did last weekend. So <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy who has a conversation about what I did last weekend really loudly. Right. Yeah, I do think that's this is part of the reason why manspreading was like a big deal for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like it is absolutely a symptom of men dominating space and not taking into consideration other people's needs in a public situation. Yeah, I guess we can go more into like some tracking. I'm just going to do some rapid fire tracking. Okay. Um, so these are observations you've had in the last week or so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sweet. 
I see this a lot when groups of guys are walking on a, on a, on the sidewalk. They take up the entire sidewalk, mm-hmm. even though it might be a wide sidewalk and they have plenty of room to like jumble together to let other people cross. But they take up they like basically make this man blockade <laughs> for anyone who wants to pass. So that's one. Yeah, uh, my colleagues share stories and a lot of women in my life share stories of like when they don't move. When they're clearly on their side of the sidewalk and they don't move, guys literally just run into them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's that sense of entitlement, too. And I am guilty of this, I will be honest, of, like, walking the same path on the same sidewalk for, like, two miles. And then somebody (laughs) turns and then gets in my way. I'm always like I've been walking on this sidewalk longer than you have kiddo so like get out of my way where that's just you know not okay I can easily take a couple steps to the right right and just be like oh you're good yeah or in the U.S. just walk on the right side of the sidewalk yeah that's fine just <laughs> of course also I want to do a lot of uh party tracking so I went to a party a couple weeks ago and it was really interesting just to kind of do some uh people searching people looking I don't know what you might call I think that it's people watching people watching yeah, yeah. let's do that <laughs> Uh, And so I was at this party and we were at this fire pit and this guy broke a piece of huge wood to try and get this nail out. I don't know. We were all drunk. So, but nobody asked him to do it. It was, it was not his house. It was not his piece of wood. People were telling him to stop. And he was like, he just kept on breaking this piece of wood. And what was interesting is that a lot of the women at the party were like, stop what the hell, like this isn't your house. And then every guy at the party was just like, no, this is sick. Like, keep doing it. Let's get that nail out. And it's such a trivial thing. Like, just it's a piece of wood. So... That was one. And then I, th- I see this a lot, especially at crowded parties where it's like in some guy's basement and like one guy has to get from point A to point B and there's like a hundred people in the way. And I see this a lot where they like touch people way too much to get out of the way. To navigate through a party is a skill in itself. <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, there is a little bit of like shoulder tapping where you're like, oh, please, can I get through here? But what I notice a lot is that a lot of guys touch the small of a woman's back for them to get out of the way. Okay. And then the broad side of the shoulder for a dude to get out of the way. Okay. And they're like grabbing both right. parties. So it's interesting to be like, there's an easy solution to this, which is tapping on the shoulder or just saying, excuse me, like kind of loudly. But it's interesting, like how intimate of a touch it is for somebody to put their hand on the small of your back, mm-hmm. but it's a complete stranger and they just walk away. Yeah. I think like touching with hands in particular is different than like trying to squeeze by somebody, right? Like I think at parties that are crowded like that, most people are under the assumption that like as people try to squeeze through your bodies are going to touch we're not saying you have to get consent for like hey can is it okay if my right ribs touch your elbow or whatever yeah as i squeeze by here and maybe my knee might brush your thigh or something like that like that's not necessarily what we're talking about we're talking about unnecessary touching with the hands because like that's where groping happens yeah <laughs> so yeah. like I, it's not to say don't touch anyone at a party it's to say you can use anything but your hands to touch people in terms of trying to get by. Definitely. And you don't have to be so creepy about it. Right. Like you can just be like, hey, excuse me, I'm trying to get by. Yeah. That's and I, it. I see that a lot of concerts too. Oh, okay. Mostly, it's mostly just like people like squeezing past by. Right. But there's definitely moments like I was at this concert one time and this woman who I perceived to be a woman who I perceived to be very intoxicated okay. grabbed me by the hips 
and I looked back, but she was trying to get by. That's still weird. And it's weird. Like (laughs) for both parties, don't touch my back (laughs) (laughs) or hips. Don't when you like squeeze by like in an airplane seat or like at a concert where there's like assigned seating. Mm -hmm. Do you go like crotch or oh in the face or crotch in the face? I always personally do the in the face. I think that's I think that's a good call. And I try to stay. In such a weird angle of my body so that no part of my body actually touches the person. Okay. And usually, I mean, at that scenario, if it's a concert with seating, they usually like get up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But still, it's not like I'm going to face them for like a solid (laughs) millisecond and be like, thanks, excuse me. That'd be a little weird. Just asking for a friend. For, yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, now that we have we we put these out here, what are some things that we can easily change? Because I know this whole idea of getting out of toxic masculinity is kind of intimidating to a lot of people. What are some things that we can just put in the back of our mind? I do think that in order for effective personal change and effective intervention in other people's behavior, you have to be aware that there's a problem in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. If you say the word gay as if it's something is stupid or an object is dumb and you don't see a problem with that, then like we can't help you. And I don't really know why you're listening, but thank you. Uh, (laughs) the, (laughs) The right. So like, I think there are a lot of men out there who sort of offhandedly say the word or offhandedly call someone a and once someone says yo like using feminized terms to put men down doesn't just hurt men it hurts women as well it hurts your attitudes towards women to think that feminine means less than or weaker than i think a lot of dudes who are made aware of that begin to shift their language because they're like oh this is wrong and i think that the internal change that happens from shifting your attitude just about language is an incredible process for social justice for men so like words like and and well i say a lot man i God damn it. Um, <laughs> what I like was how I? most of yeah. these words that you're going to be saying are like going to be bleeped out. <laughs> That's true. Um, so just, you know, you know, we know you, what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about. Like there's a lot of words I think men in particular use that are feminizing or relate to someone else's sexuality. Yeah. That we use as insults or put downs for each other. Mm-hmm. Even no balls, I think is transphobic in a lot of ways. And so oh, yeah. thinking more intentionally about why we insult people in the first place, but how I guess, yeah, or whatever, like accurately use a vocabulary that's appropriate for your age. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't like what you said, it doesn't just put the man down, but it also alerts everyone in the vicinity that it's not okay to be a woman. Right. And there's nothing wrong with being a woman, Thank honestly. You. So, so that's one change that we could make. One change that I'd like to talk about is walking at night. Tell me more. We all do it. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us do it. Yeah. Most of us do it. Um, but you know, it's um, me as a man, I can go out at 3 a.m. and just walk to a 7-Eleven and have no fear whatsoever. Right. Because I'm a dude and nothing bad will ever happen to me when I'm outside my apartment at 3 a.m. In, th- in my mind. Right. And I think that's also tied to whiteness. I think men of color do have reason to fear for their lives out there at night like that. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Like all my dominant identities come into play when I'm walking at night. So, but women specifically don't have that luxury 
of feeling safe when they walk at night because there's this stigma of the nighttime being when bad things happen, like low visibility. We all hear the like the phrase of like, you know, the rapist in the bushes kind of thing. Stranger danger. Stuff like that. Yeah. So I was talking to some of my friends and I was like, okay, I will walk at night. We're not going to change that. But (laughs) what are some precautions that I can take for myself to diffuse tension when I see what I perceive to be a woman on the street who's coming near me? And so uh, we came up with this list. First, number one, if you have a hoodie, maybe not put the hood up. And I know there's a lot of what I think is interesting is how racialized that stigma might be for sure of the hoodie. Because, you know, we see in the in the news, all these innocent uh, men of color being shot because they were wearing a hoodie. Boys of color, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. But when you see a woman, just try to look not in like look as normal i i I can't use that word but like try to look as least threatening as possible right and putting your hood up may be perceived as a threat right so that's one that you could take into consideration also don't walk so close to them and that's kind of the idea of taking up space so if you see a wide sidewalk get on the opposite end or even better yet if you see a woman coming your way just get on the other side of the street if possible right and then once they pass, cross back onto the street. Now, this one may sound a little ridiculous, but I have a point to it. <laughs> so when you're out in a parking lot, which is a very scary place for a lot of women identified people, you know, I've heard a lot of women in my life say, I get out my phone and I pretend that I'm on a call when I'm in a parking lot. So I thought Monica told me about this. She said her friend takes out his phone and pretends to call his mom <laughs> when awesome. he's in the parking lot. Okay. And he doesn't actually call his mom. He, he doesn't pretends. actually. I don't know. He <laughs> maybe, might. Maybe you should add actually call your mom on his list. Yeah. Just <laughs> call mom. <laughs> I, I forgot I wrote that. Or just, you know, call your mom. <laughs> Shout out to all the moms out there. But um, I've, I've suggested that to a lot of people and they're like, that sounds just ridiculous. I don't want to do any of that. That just sounds like a whole lot more work. And what I counter with is how ridiculous is it for a woman to need to pull out her phone and pretend that she's on a phone call to feel that she's safe in this scenario. And hold a weapon potentially in her purse as she tries to open the door of her car. Yeah, definitely like holding your keys before you go to your car, you know, having pepper spray. Me as a man, I don't have to carry any weapons around with me to feel safe. Right. And I think that's really interesting as an internal tracking is when I wake up in the morning and go to class, I take zero precautions of my personal safety of like, well, I might bring like a knife to open a container or something, <laughs> Okay. but that stays at home and I never bring like... I never like have a keychain on my keys that could be used to fend off a perpetrator. Right. Or you don't worry about wearing shorts versus pants based on how people might perceive your sexuality. Yeah. I mean, I wear whatever the hell I want and I carry whatever I want. And that thought just never comes into my mind. Right. And I think that's the problem for a lot of men who are starting to get into this work. They have to understand and be aware that people do take those precautions. And in certain scenarios where uh, the man might feel safe, someone with more you know, subordinated identities would not feel safe. Yeah. And I think to loop it back around to the beginning before we close out is like people who I think men in particular who feel defensive about the term toxic masculinity are probably feeling some kind of way about their own behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. Those who understand that it's not about us 
And we're actively trying to work like to self-reflect and to change ourselves a little bit to not fit the definition of toxic masculinity, understand how and why that, that phrase is being employed. And so if you're at the end of this thinking like, I can't believe we have to do all of this work. Remember that it's us as men who set up the environment that requires us to do all this work at the present time, right? And hopefully doing this change will eventually lead to a point where we don't have to, when women don't have to worry about walking alone at night. Yeah, and it's not that much work. It's really not. It's not hard. That will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow us to do this podcast. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more more information about the WJC, go to wjc.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, aka Zabley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace. <laughs>